This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, the proximity paradox, why competing businesses open right next door. Player three, we got into a Twitter fight recently. Some on Twitter were being critical about a large national ice cream chain opening next to a smaller mom-and-pop shop near Washington, D.C. Those tweeters claimed that opening this large chain right next door to a smaller shop is predatory to that smaller shop. But we argued that not only is that just plain old capitalism, it's actually a brilliant and basic economic concept that helps both businesses. Imagine you're on a beach on a hot day. You want a refreshment. And on this vast stretch of beach, there are only two stands that sell ice cream and drinks. But they're right next door to one another. Wouldn't it be better for them to split the difference and claim separate portions of the beach? No, it wouldn't. They're doing the smart thing. In this episode, we tell you why. And welcome Episode 31 of Game Theory, your podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Chris, I made a boo-boo on the last episode. I said last episode was episode 31, but it wasn't episode 31. It was episode 30. Math is hard, you guys, and especially counting math. And when you count like more than a year apart across only a handful of things... Uh, it's easy to get those numbers mixed up. So, Nick, I, I think it's big of you to admit your mistake. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. And I know that there's zero sarcasm in your voice at all. Um, especially, it's, it's, it's particularly hard when there are things out there that do it for you. And just it's list true. the episodes I, for you. I just watched, I was just on YouTube the other day, and I, I saw this commercial for Microsoft Excel from 1992. Oh, shut up. It's the most up. incredible thing in the world. I think, uh, on an aside... Microsoft Excel is so underutilized, people have no idea what's under their, their fingertips. It, it's truly a killer app. It's like, it's up there with like the database yeah. as like all-time, all-time great apps. I mean, Excel is just incredible. That commercial must have been spicy. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, these guys are in their like early 90s business suits getting ready to pitch the thing for the big meeting. And they they literally have an elevator ride to like fix some spreadsheets. And this guy makes like a four by four table of some numbers in it and does the click and drag thing and people are just floored. My spreadsheet doesn't do that. Click and drag must have been something. I I mean, you would, you would think they had like solved world hunger. (laughs) That, that is hilarious. So speaking of solving world hunger, we're going to talk today about solving your hunger or your sweet tooth, which is ice cream. We're talking about the ice cream proximity. This is called the, the proximity paradox, which is why it makes sense to open competing businesses close to each other, which is both intuitive and counterintuitive. We're going to get to that, Chris, but I wanted to remind people that episode 30, not 31, which is, say, in the intro about traffic, is up on Spotify and on Facebook. You can participate in the conversation still when you're hearing this because I have decided that in order to get more engagement, I'm going to do something clickbaity. And that clickbaity thing is to ask people which state has the worst drivers. So I figured that would get the people involved because I have opinions having spent significant amounts of time in all four time zones, by far the worst that I've experienced is in North Carolina. That, that's a bold statement. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's, how, how do you 
how do you get over the difficulty of like figuring out how to pass people in Utah because they're all in the passing lane? Yes. So I would say Utahns are close. They're pretty close. New Jersey, New Jersey and Mississippi are the most dangerous. The New Jerseyans are very good. They just know that they're good and therefore it's risky. That's the pros. Like Southern California and New Jersey, those are pros. Though that is high level driving. Mississippi is difficult because a lot of the people just demographically in Mississippi have never had to drive in traffic. There's just a lot of rural life. So they don't know what's going on, which is a completely different challenge. So if you have thoughts before we go down the rabbit hole, Leave it in the Spotify prompt and also on Facebook, which is all links in bio, et cetera. Leave a five-star rating a review, please, unless you don't think it's a five-star program, and then you can rate it a three or a four-star. We saw some reviews, and we were going to address those reviews in uh, upcoming episodes, Chris. We, we saw someone who said, our, our player three baby on Apple Podcasts said, love the podcast, need more guests. Well, we're going to take that to heart. We have a guest planned coming up soon, I think, to talk about a documentary that's on Netflix. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, nuclear stuff, get excited about that. Mm-hmm. Nuclear safety, nuclear danger. And and look, player three, if you want to leave a four-star review or lower, it'll be difficult for Nick to count it. <laughs> so just tell him you gave a five-star uh, review, whether you do or not. Uh, yeah, that's mean. But yes, you're right. I, I uh, The five-star reviews, are they, they mean a lot to me and because they're just like, I see all yellow. And it's like, it's 100% yellow. It has to be five stars then there's less percentages with, with, with less yellow. One more thing, Chris, we want to mention. You and I will be in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for Independence Day, our holy day of worship in the United States. Not to worship Independence Day, but to sweat and play some chess. I believe it's the U.S. Open or something in Philly, and we're, we're going to be there. So if you're going to be there, uh, any of the player three people playing chess, you can reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram and say hi, and maybe we'll get a drink or something. Yeah, we love playing the game of chess. We love being together and playing over the board as opposed to, you know, just over the internet. Right. I think it'll be exciting to get back into into a tournament. We played a tournament in Virginia uh, late last year, mm-hmm. uh, but playing chess in Philadelphia just feels different. You know, there's a certain air to the city, especially around the 4th of July yeah. time frame, and we're really excited about it. So if you're in the area, if you're into chess, or if you just like Philadelphia, hit us up. Let's go to a bar, grab a drink, play some chess. We can talk game theory. Yep. Uh, player three, you're in for a good time. Yeah, but... Please come, please come say hi. That is the 4th of July weekend in Philly. Okay, Chris, let's drill down to this proximity paradox. I got into a little kerfuffle on the interweb, and then we thought we were literally doing research for this. It just happened. So you know what? Let's bump other episodes. Let's do this right now because it's fresh in our minds. So what happened? You dragged me into an internet fight without you knowing it. I did. I made the mistake of getting on Twitter and using it as like <laughs> a person who engages. Uh, I cannot recommend against that enough. But we're past that point now, and I I saw a tweet from one of these, like, city kind of accounts. Uh, there, there's a bunch of accounts that are just, like, you know, about whatever local city you're in, and this one was called Bard in D.C., so shout-out to Bard in D.C. It's, uh, it, it's a great account. It normally does tweets about, like, what's going on in the city, and, you know, it's called Bard in D.C. because it talks a lot about local bars and restaurants, and, and normally it's a really good account. This tweet uh, really confused me, though. They tweeted a picture of a long line at a Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream store. Nick, you've heard of Jenny's? Uh, no, not until this. Jenny's <laughs> is a nearly nationwide chain of over 50 locations. It's based in Columbus, Ohio, and they make some delicious ice cream. I mean, it's like it's like got the good, like thick custard quality of ice cream. They have a huge variety of flavors, and they're really innovative and fun. Uh, really good store. And this, this Barden DC account tweeted a picture of, like, a, a row of what they described 
uh, as at least 25 people out in line. There are like 10 people in this picture. Uh, at least 25 people in line on Barracks Row. Uh, and the account said, still have never been to one of these locations, mostly due to the longtime reporting of one Laura Hayes, who is a DC correspondent for the Washington City Paper, on how they actively target neighborhoods with ice cream spots. And I just thought that is the most bizarre thing in the world to me. How do you, how do you boycott a business for wanting to do business? And uh, I, I just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And so I gave into the temptation and I, I fired off a snarky tweet. And the rest, as they say, is history. They, right. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see there's a very good boy waiting in line for his pup cup of ice cream as well. But it is true. So like, this is the tweet. It's, it's, it's on the screen if you're watching. Chris just read it to you. And yeah, and I, I, uh, I, I participated with my quote tweet. I said, quote, and you can read this. Whoa, LOL, this person, question mark, because I don't know if it's like a, group of people running a city account these city accounts by the way are really great they're really helpful to know what's going on in your city highly recommend them but i said yeah, despite this tweet i recommend following bard in dc i get a lot of good information from bard in dc yeah that's great i mean and but then every now and then there's an opinion and you're like okay uh won't eat ice cream from a ace so remember i have a visual imperity and i can't see typos at night when i tweet that's my excuse from an ace i meant place because they are trying to compete by beating their competition so they're actively deciding not to participate in the economy or participate in the economic process. So instead of actively going to an ice cream place, they're actively avoiding an ice cream place and just deciding not to vote in this economic election. And then a bunch of people got into it. And this person said, uh, there's a whole fight. Wow. Supporting local businesses makes him a bad person. So this is where we get into this, this, this thing of DC people being super, DC, which is not what I said. So then we thought you had literally hours earlier messaged me uh, and just sent a text. I'm like, we should do this for game theory, which we, there is an example on the internet of why opening ice cream stores next to each other is advantageous. And then these people drag us into this fight. So we're like, okay, this is just the stars are aligned here. We have to talk about this. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, if, anybody who's been on like a road trip or you know, anybody who like lives in a town with multiple businesses knows that there's a tendency to like see a lot of similar businesses right in a row. There's like like the food district. Like if you're driving through like small town USA, you'll see a lot of like the fast food chains. You can just like go down the main drag and stop in any one of them. And there are a lot of gas stations that kind of cluster together and a lot of like similar similar feeling and similar clientele stores right next to each other all the time. And you think, well, okay, is this just like good city planning? But like, like how did every town in America kind of decide to do this? And I remember from like years and years ago, I swear I heard someone somewhere once say like, well, yeah, that actually makes good business sense to do that. And then never really followed up on it. And then this tweet made me think, well, okay, are, is, is Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams really doing this like malicious, like one of the guys on, on Twitter said, uh, oh yeah, these 80s style uh, tough guy tactics won't work here in DC. And it's like, that, it, it, nah, man, this isn't like big, bad capitalism. This is like, it makes sense for businesses who are trying to like stay afloat to actually be near other businesses of the same kind. And that's one of like the counterintuitive results of game theory, but I'd never really looked into it before now. Yeah. And it, it, it is kind of strange. Like, so there are two 
forces at play here, right? One is that there's a district where things are. So people go for things, and then if you put more things where the things are, there are more people and everybody. It's like it, it, a rising tide lifts all boats kind of situation. That's why there's Barnes & Nobles, Home Depots, and Best Buys are like always walking distance from each other. Those three stores have essentially nothing to do with each other other than there's some electronic crossover. Other than that, they're like completely... They, your Saturday is in two different directions if you're going to Barnes & Noble and Home Depot, but they're always next to each other. Because people are going and they're doing stuff. This is the same thing being right next to each other. And ironically, the, the, my first take was that. Look at the line at Jenny's. Is Jenny's worth this line? Perhaps once or twice. The third time, I'd be like, let's go get some Jenny's. Like, ah, fuck this. That place doesn't have a line. I'm going to go to that line. And then at that point, Jenny's will have brought business to this other business. But there's an even deeper reason to do that. And it is literal game theory. And it, it, it creates a Nash equilibrium, Chris. It does. Uh, and this, this isn't like a new thing. This isn't with like, you know, analytics didn't usher in this era of like businesses clustering together. This has been documented for, for a very long time. Um, an example of, uh, of, of a little bit of an older report uh, comes out of a Harvard Business Review written by uh, Michael Porter. Uh, that it was published in the November, December 1998 edition of the Harvard Business Review, which like I hate that I just said this is a really old phenomenon because it's, it's obviously older than that, but man, the 90s, mm. miss them. Yeah, God. Uh, but so uh, Michael Porter describes this phenomenon in terms of like clusters, you know, and and he explains what a cluster is. He says clusters are geographic concentrations of interconnected companies and institutions in a particular field. He says they encompass an array of linked industries and other entities uh, that are important to competition. And one of the fascinating things about this is that the game, the the, the Nash equilibrium of game theory is the fundamental driver behind why this phenomenon occurs and i thought it was really interesting in, in michael porter's piece that he said that this isn't just like a local thing this isn't just something that happens in neighborhoods and small towns in america this happens in every city this happens across different regions and it happens around the globe where you'll find concentrations of like industries in specific places uh, examples include italian or northern italy is the home of like men's fashion shoes like they just come from italy uh, you, you can find like Silicon Valley as a, as a major example of like technological innovation. And, and, you know, obviously it's not the case that every business of the same kind goes to the same place all the time, but there is a reason that that trend crops up and that's because people are incentivized to do so just by playing the game of opening a business. Yeah. And I mean, it seems, it seems so obvious, right? I got into a you ever have a, a, a an argument with someone at work and it becomes like a very cordial disagreement? I had a cordial disagreement with a woman who uh, who's incredible. She's an incredible editor and writer, and uh, she was a dear friend when we worked together. And I still stay. She's one of those three or four people I still stay in touch with that I worked with. And she was uh, in a work from home business. And we were all work from home and she was based in Madison, Wisconsin, which Madison, Wisconsin has a lot of good things going on. That is where the electronic health record system Epic is and it is a multi-billion dollar piece of software that hospitals use to keep records of patients it's based in madison and doctors epic for it for doctors and nurses they love it because it's an incredible invention but they hate it and it makes them want to kill themselves and i said well one of the big problems with epic is that it's based in madison it should be based in austin or in silicon valley where the talent is the apple genetic will generically be better and of course she went to bat for her hometown but of course if you want to be where the best shoes are you go where the best shoes are and you find people that make shoes. If you want to eat at the best restaurants, you find where the best chefs are and you eat at a random restaurant because that guy probably worked there. And if you want to make a great app, you open it in Austin 
maybe somewhere else or probably Silicon Valley. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something to be said for like the the age of the internet. You you think you can just like tap your phone in the right places and like food or goods and serve or goods and supplies will like appear at your door. You know, we have the internet, we have ubiquitous uh, supply chains that you can get anything almost anywhere all the time, uh, and it's pretty remarkable. But still, the lo- physical location of businesses still like they still cluster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet has not actually done away with that trend. And Nick, I think we ought to break down exactly how game theory gets us to that point. Right. Let's do it. And to do that, I think we ought to uh, reference this Cornell research institution uh, in uh, pay homage to uh, Andy Bernard. Actually real quick, I would like to say before we get to the Andy Bernard joke, uh, this Cornell blog is sick and we use it all the time. And the people that write this are awesome and you guys should keep doing it. Yes. We love Cornell. It's the highest rank in the Ivy League. <laughs> it's the highest. How, our quarter, who was their quarterback? Oh, wait, uh, no, that was a that was a Princeton joke from Thirty Rock. Like, how do my, you think it, we're going to do against Hoster this year? <laughs> Nathan Ford's arm looks pretty strong. <sighs> uh, what was the? There was an Ivy League joke in Thirty Rock too, right? We're five and three in the in Ivy League play, Lemon. Our quarterback Henry Chang. Henry Chang. <laughs> Man, they towed the line. They, they definitely, they, 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 they crossed it, but Tina Fey's got a reputation that lets her get away with it. It's true. So, Nick. Yeah. How does this game theory actually work? Okay, Chris. It's, it's, the funny thing is that the, the Cornell blog is based on a YouTube video in which ice cream is the literal example. So, in... Absolutely perfect. Yeah, which is hilarious. So, the video, which you'll link to in the, the show notes, if you don't want to read a blog about it, you can watch a video about it. In the example... You go to the beach, and you want to open ice cream for people on the beach, so you open an ice cream stand. However... On a one-mile-long one stretch of beach, I think they use. Yeah, on a mile-long. It's a generic, measurable distance, right? So you want to open an ice cream, so you're, people are going to be hot. They're going to eat their ice cream. It's on Atlantic City. It's on the West Coast. Wherever you want it to be, it's there. But there's someone else on the beach serving ice cream. So your original thought is like, well, they got that part of the beach covered. And remember, this is your competition, so you're like, I don't want to be next to this person. I want to be over here where there's no ice cream. So your thought is like, let's split the beach in half, right? But we find out through math that actually you're, you're losing space because the gap, the halfway point between you and the other ice cream place means that you lose space compared to what would happen if you were next to them. Yeah, so, so if, if there's only one of you on the beach and you got a mile of beach, you're going to put it right at the half mile mark. Because that way, people from both ends of the beach will flock to your ice cream stand, and you get the whole beach of customers at maximum convenience for everybody. Uh, but when this second person comes along, you think, well, I don't want to be near my competitor because I don't want people to see their ice cream stand next to mine and walk into theirs instead of paying me. So I'm going to put mine a quarter of a mile in from the other end of the beach. And if they put theirs a quarter mile in from the opposite end of the beach, then we'll each have like a quarter mile on our, our own side. And then in the middle, there's a half mile between us that will split. So in theory, we should each get half of the beach. But the problem is if, if your adversary, if your competitor gets a little bit expansionist maybe and yeah. says, I don't want just a quarter mile of the beach to myself. I want actually more like half a mile of the beach to myself. And they move inward toward the center of the beach. They're eating away at the so-called neutral distance between the two of you. And that distance is still theoretically split 50-50, but 
their own personal distance is growing. And so theoretically, that means more customers are going to go to the ice cream stand uh, where they own the turf, where they're the closest from that right. end of the beach. Right. So in order to minimize that, you're actually incentivized to start encroaching inward toward the center as well from your own direction and growing your own stretch of a quarter mile of the beach into a third of a mile, a half a mile. And this trend carried to its logical conclusion means that the ideal point for you guys to be, the equilibrium, if you will, is exactly at the center of the beach because then theoretically you each get your own half mile of beach on your own side. Right. Now what that means is in practice though, both sides of you, both half miles from the center point, they're both contested, but you've effectively stopped seeding free customers to your competitor and that maximizes the number of people that are going to come to your ice cream stand. It's counterintuitive that the closer you get, the more customers you'll receive. But the math of not driving people away and making it easier for everybody to get to your stand, that actually incentivizes businesses to cluster together. Now, the, And this doesn't just apply in like a linear example of a beach. It applies across the entire two-dimensional space of a map. It applies across the three-dimensional space of the globe. It's amazing how this phenomenon scales, and it's because of this Nash equilibrium of businesses not wanting to seed free customers, free clientele to their competitors. So I'm just now thinking of real life examples of this, of course, and we'll get into that, into that in a moment. But what's really, what's really interesting about this is that I can't, and we, we found some academic research from the Indiana Business Review, which I don't know how much business is going on in, in, in Indiana. <laughs> Good old Bloomington. Thank you. Wait, there and there it's louder. Okay. Um, but uh, the, the interesting thing to me is, is it, can we can we can we confirm or theorize at all that it would be beneficial if there was no competition at all? Because it seems to me that does that put a cap on how much money you can make if there's someone else there? Because you would think theoretically, like, oh well, if I'm the only show in town, then I'll, I'll make more money. But in a weird way, my gut—I'm not a math guy—but my gut tells me that it's better if there are two. I don't know why that is my gut, but it's just my well, gut. Well, I mean, it, it's all a case of like supply and demand. You know, yeah. the, the demand for whatever the product or service is that a business is offering is going to drive the, the customer base. I mean, that's like literally economics 101. So one of the things that goes into this game theory calculation is the assumption that whatever good and service you're providing relative to your competitors, it's like roughly equal quality. So it, it can't be the case that like somebody is selling this delicious, hearty, flavorful, fun ice cream and somebody else is just like, opening up store brand Kroger and dipping it into crappy cones. Right. So because obviously customers are going to be savvy enough to recognize like, well, one product is clearly a superior quality to the other. And I'm going to go to that store. So you have to at least be competitive from a quality standpoint. And I, I think that's a, that's a major factor to consider here, but it, it also drives competition to have more than one business, but there's, but there is a possibility of like saturating the market. I mean, there's mm -hmm. only so much demand for really any product or service uh, ice cream especially. I mean, not everybody wants to eat a ton of ice cream all the time. You know, it's not as if four businesses suddenly open up in the same neighborhood and there's going to be four times the demand for ice cream. Yeah, uh, There might be some induced demand because of more options and, and more incentive to go because there's less standing in line and more variety. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be a linear growth. And so it's uh, not necessarily great to have like a ton of competitors nearby. It's, it's, it's weird. It's the, like the paradox is that it's not great for you to have a lot of competitors nearby because they might siphon away business and reduce demand. Yeah. But it's better for you to be near your competitors because you don't 
give away free customers. And that's that's the paradox of uh, of this result of game theory. Yeah, and it, it has to do with like businesses that are in the same industry. But it, like when when you're the only two businesses on the beach, then it gets a, it becomes incredibly game theoretical. But when you're in these like clusters like shopping centers and malls, then it becomes obvious. Like you have to be there because you could theoretically get traffic that you normally wouldn't have got. If you're hot on the beach and you're like, I need to cool off. And the only cool off option is a bottle of water and a, a scoop of ice cream. Like that's what you're going to do. But if you're out shopping uh, on a Saturday for, for lumber and you're going to work in the backyard and you're like, you know what, I would really could go for a chicken sandwich and there's a Popeye's and a Chick-fil-A, then those people, you didn't come out for a chicken sandwich. You came out for lumber and you're going to get one. So it's, it's, it, it becomes incredibly theoretical when it's like this. And we're using it's, it's what amounts to fast food and food as an example. But I think the better and more interesting example, like you mentioned, is, is men's fashion in Northern Italy. By the way, the most expensive thing I own are shoes I got married in, and they were handmade in Northern Italy. And they came with a link to a video of the guy making them. It was a whole process that I, that I, that I bought them. Those are the shoes I got married in. And I completely, in a weird way, I feel better about the shoes because they were made where you get shoes. And like, that's part of the deal, I think. Yeah, I, and you know, there's certainly some something to be said of like the historical reputation of an area that specializes in a thing. Yeah, that's why like uh, you know, there's a uh, those California cow commercials. Mm-hmm. Like people in Wisconsin get really, really fussy about talking about how happy the cows are in California. They say, no, happy cows come from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I know Wisconsin is famous for its cheese, but like, let's relax. Other quality quality items do exist outside of the region of speciality. But you know, there, there is something to be said for getting something from like, it just feels more authentic when you get it from like the place that it's known for. That's and exactly our, right. Our, our Indiana research is from, uh, from Timothy Slaper and Ping Zhong. I think it's from 2015 or 2016. Uh, and it's called Firms of a Feather Cluster Together. And you know, one of the conclusions they have in their, their extent, their like actual rigorous academic research, which you should read if you want <laughs> Unbelievably to know more about it, we can tell you. Mm. Uh, they, they, they said the economies of co-location are associated with the absolute scale of firms in geographic proximity rather than the relative concentration of those firms within a region. I mean, this, this, this scales uh, geographically in absolute terms. And, and I, I just think that's the most fascinating thing that this game theory example goes beyond just the small systems that we use to model the concepts of Nash equilibrium and, and com- competition in business. Uh, it, it expands to like the entire global economy. I, I just think that's the most remarkable thing. Even in the internet age, even in, the, in an age where you know, manufacturing is so much more modular, you can get a lot of similar and higher quality things from a lot of different places, a lot more places now than you could have even a decade ago. Uh, I, I think it's still remarkable that this clustering phenomenon occurs just because of game theory. And game theory outcompetes all of the all of the reputation stuff, all of the all of the biases that people bring into their consumerism. Game theory, at the end of the day, does drive where businesses go, and I just think that's the coolest thing. So I have a, yeah, I agree. And I kind of want to expand on that as like a math, philosophically, like from a math standpoint. Do you believe that math is inherent and is discovered or is that math is a human construct and it has been invented? Because I'll be honest, I don't think game theory is a relatively new thing that people are putting a name on. And there are new concepts we just mentioned in the medical match episode that like there are new elements to game theory being added to the theory all of the time. But it seems like people have been inherently doing it as like the obvious thing to do or they kind of figure it out over time. Like you mentioned, that the global economy has existed since, I mean, I guess you could say the 1800s when ships got more effective, but it seems like they were doing this then. 
Yeah, the Industrial Revolution kind of brought this to the the rest of the globe. You know, obviously shipping existed before then, but it really brought it into hyperdrive. Just the, the sheer scale of production that became available drove a lot more consumption and and whatever else. And, uh, you know, the, the, this is an interesting question, this whether math was discovered or invented. Uh, that's an interesting question, and this, I'm going to take this quick opportunity to once again plug the Green River High School speech and debate team trip to the national tournament. That topic, Nick, whether math was discovered or invented, is one of the topics available in the world school or in the big question debate category. And if you would be so generous, player three, as to consider donating to the GoFundMe link that's in the show notes, that's in the video description, to help kids who are contemplating questions like this succeed at the national tournament, we'd be super, super grateful. Link in the description. As for an answer to the question, I, I tend to think it's actually a little bit of both. I mean, I think you know, there are a lot of reasons to to believe one thing or another. I mean, counting, I think, is a natural phenomenon, but it's not universal. Yeah. You know, there are cultures that exist that don't count. They say, like, okay, well, there are a few things there. And then at a certain point, as you add individual things, like, well, you know, there are many things there now. And yeah. it doesn't, like, distinctions between different, like, discrete units don't matter to them. And I also think you know, there are mathematical functions and processes that were kind of like invented like the out like the logarithm was is an example of something that was essentially invented to describe like exponential growth and decay and, uh, and there there's a lot of philosophical reasoning that goes up back and forth there but i think this this example that we're talking about you know like with game theory and then with with the economics of like why businesses cluster together i think that was largely discovered mm -hmm. and it's it's a fun case of where people use like empirical observation and mathematical reasoning, just like sheer calculation, like the, the, the beach example and like how many clients you get per quarter mile or whatever. People use that information and that mathematical model to drive their own business decision-making. And it's a way to take discovery and turn it into productivity or turn it into entrepreneurship or turn it into like better experiences for people who are trying to like make money and, and compete in a competitive economic system. And I just think that's the coolest thing in the world. It really is. It, it's kind of cool. And the, the, the other thing that I think is cool is, is the consumer is an individual and the consumer is not a data point. So like if I could get on my high horse, I, I really, I found my love of, of studying academic history much too late in college to, to study in it seriously. But what I, what I've really liked is this new theory in, in history where it's not about, timelines it's about the history of ideas and how things kind of grow and when the great humanism awakening happened in the 13 and 1400s we slowly started to go on this trajectory of the data datafication which is a word i'm going to use the the datafication of <laughs> the data existence it the, really the is analyticsation it is everything is a data point we got obsessed and people became incredibly famous by discovering counting and classifying things and now we're seeing this rear its ugly head where people are a thing. You are white or you are black. You are this gender. You are that gender. We just can't stop classifying things and start to look at people as an individual. But individuals act as individuals inherently. Remember when we talked about the traveler's problem or dilemma, I forget what it's called. It was uh, the, the theoretical problem is a game theory construct where an airline damages two different travelers' stuff. It's the same thing, and they need to figure out how much to pay. So they kind of pit them against each other and offer an incentive to tell the truth and try to bid down the price. And they found that there is a number at which individuals will walk away. So theoretically, individuals, if they're data points, they should just keep going lower and lower and lower, and then the airline wins, and then they don't have to, to pay it. But when you start at, say, $100, and individuals like, you know, I'll take 75 That's good enough. Give that guy whatever he gets. I'll take 75 I'd rather have 75 it, Along the same lines... 
if these businesses are clustered together, you can, Chris, find loyalty and you can say, like, I want my thing. I want the thing that I want. And that leads us to a couple real life examples of this. The most famous and my favorite of which is Pat's versus Gino steaks in Philly. And if you've ever heard about Philly cheesesteaks, first of all, Philly cheesesteaks are not a thing. You just say steak sandwich, you get your cheese and whatever. We could talk about the steak if we want to do that. But the two most famous places in Philly are Pat's and Gino's. And they are across the street from one another. And there is an infamous wink, wink rivalry going on for a long time. Theoretically, you are either Team Pat's or your Team Geno's, but them being next to each other, both for tourists and for their actual function, which is hungover people and drunk people, it's a win-win. You, you, if you live there, you go based on the line and you don't really care and you, you support your local shop, which is what we're talking about here, or by them being next to each other, it becomes a thing. If Pat's versus Geno's, Pat's and Geno's is a place. Yeah, it's 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 really kind of cool. Uh, it's an example of uh, a productive rivalry. So so yeah. people have are ta- whether consciously or not, people are taking this clustering phenomenon of like being next to your competitor, and they're actually using it to to induce more demand. Uh, for example, when I went to Philadelphia the first time to visit you, and you say, "Oh yeah, we gotta go get steaks," and you said, "Well, we want to go to Geno's or Pat's." Like, well, I mean, I gotta try both. I gotta figure out if I'm Team Geno's or Team Pat's. Boom! Immediately, by being next to their competitor, they got more business from me. And you know, it, it, this is a pretty extreme example because you know Geno's and Pat's are pretty famous institutions in uh, in the food industry. They're they're well known among anybody who wants to like visit Philadelphia and experience that touristy element of having the state the authentic steak. Uh, and so it's not like universally applicable. I, I don't know how much Jenny's splendid ice cream in Eastern market is driving demand for like Jubilee ice cream around the right. corner or whatever. But the fact remains that by being nearby, they don't lose out on customers that they would have lost out on if they didn't exist. And overall, even though their competitor gets more money, they also get more money in this case yep. because people are incentivized to like try both by virtue of them being right there. And what's really interesting, Chris, is that the rivalry is completely fake. Um, they, their wives and them, they grew up to, together. And, and like, I mean, in their business, people, Pats and Geno's are well-run businesses. But the rivalry is kind of fake. And, and they're, I mean, I don't think they're best friends, but they don't hate each other. These, these old men, I think they've passed away now. But they, they, there's no is that hate. Stallone? Yeah, like that's the that's uh, I think that's Gino right there, or that's Pat, the original King of Steaks. Re- I mean, it's one or the other. It's Pat. It's Pat's original King of Steaks. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. So this is this is the article. There will be a link to this in the show notes. They made this commercial. They were on an episode of Doctor Phil in 1999 where they were going to try each other's steaks, and like allegedly publicly, it was the only time they were going to try each other's steak. Rivalry is bullshit. The rivalry is something the consumer has created, and that's what I'm saying. The inherent they know that it's better to be a rival which is like the inherentness of game theory. I don't think they were reading the Harvard Business Review or like economic journals, but they knew that it's better for everybody if it becomes a thing where you have to pick a side. So they're willing to sacrifice people for the sake of the rivalry because they knew it was good. The publicity and being close together was more important than taking customers from each other, which is just fascinating that they were able to figure that out. Yeah, and it's it's really remarkable that they've been able to to capitalize on the the whole capitalism thing there. And, and you know, thinking back to this, like Jenny's example, it, it's kind of weird. Like the narrative here is very, very different. So this this interview uh, that Laura Hayes DC did uh, in the Washington City paper with a bunch of ice cream owners in the area, it was it was more about like the challenges of adapting to winter and trying to drum up customers and whatever. But she interviewed a bunch of ice cream shop owners in DC uh, and emailed uh, Jenny Britton Bauer, who is uh, 
who's been described by Forbes as possibly the most notable ice cream authority in the world. Uh, okay. uh, the, the city paper asked for uh, an interview with her, and, and she gave an emailed statement. And it's, it's the weirdest thing. Yeah, apparently, she said, our strategy isn't to open near other ice cream shops. Our strategy is to open in great neighborhoods. We want success for everyone. Obviously, that's not true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that, no that, that can't be the case because it's sensible business. I mean, you want high traffic and you want to go to a, a, a high traffic area, but you don't want to just seed customers away. And you know, the city paper reported this as though it's like some kind of scandal. You know, the, the quote from Laura Hayes' writing is that three of the four ice cream shops city paper interviewed share something in common beyond a commitment to sourcing quality local ingredients. Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams opened a shop within one-tenth of a mile of Ice Cream Jubilee's T Street Northwest location, one-tenth of a mile of Dolce's Bethesda location, and one-tenth of a mile of Nice Cream's Alexandria location. Well, I mean, that sounds so sinister when you put it that way, but really it's just a business doing normal business things. They're obeying game theory principles. They're not giving away free customers, and they're locating themselves in high-foot traffic areas where there's natural demand anyway. And it's just the, the, the funniest thing to me and you know the, the one of the one of the other things to like close out this little example here is that you know, there there's kind of like if if I'm a competitor I don't necessarily want my competitor to be taking away business from me but I think Geno's and Pats might be a, like a useful example of yeah. business owner for business owners to say well you know we don't necessarily have to lose out because we have competitors right next door we can make this productive rivalry and one of the owners I won't say which one says in this interview quote consumer capitalism's a bitch man there's nothing you can do about it we're all competing for the same thing and trying to be the best uh, I, I, you know, correct okay like that, it's like a weird thing to complain about yeah. when competitors are actually paradoxically driving more business and giving you like a chance to optimize your business strategy and uh, maybe even make a productive rivalry out of it. Uh, it, it's just, it's just like a weird thing. And, you know, there's, there, there's all kinds of biases here. And, and it, one of the major biases that people have to deal with in some way when consuming goods is like th this like obsessive belief, that like no quality stuff, like local stuff has to be higher quality and it must be better. Like one of these guys on the Twitter thread with me was like, oh, it's a superior product to Jenny's ice cream. Like, my brother in Christ, it is sugar and cream, and it's cold. <laughs> and Jenny's is, like, really, really good. Like, I don't know how you could say, like, there's, like, this massive disparity in quality between these two things. Like, it's it's ice cream, man. Yeah. So uh, that that is a bias that people have. But at, at the end of the day, businesses being next to each other is just a, a, a human behavior phenomenon that can be described mathematically. And the optimum thing to do is to be near your competitors, even though it doesn't feel great to yeah, be in that yeah. situation. And yeah, and you must be feel scared. And we, we have in our, uh, in our episode rundown, we want to mention, I believe it's you've got mail where Tom Hanks is essentially books a million or Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whichever metaphor you want to use. And he's, he's, he's running out the local bookstore. Now what's really fascinating about that movie and this example, cause it's a perfect kind of metaphor is that like, it doesn't in certain neighborhoods, you're not going to get pushed out. And when I got in, in the fight with these people, I said, first of all, a, this is a game theory situation. Like they're doing the right thing and it's helping everybody. Secondly, I had lived in Philly which is a big part of this episode today. I lived in Philly for like five years, and I can tell you that I don't. I know there's one Jimmy John's in downtown Philly. It's on a college campus. Uh, I don't know where Pizza Hut and Domino's are. I'm, I'm sure theoretically they're around, and I don't know where there's an Olive Garden except for in the suburbs. However, you can get hoagies or sub sandwiches 
every single corner all over the place. I sub, Subway's, Jimmy John's, Firehouse's, they are where colleges are. Nobody down there is eating that stuff. And if they moved in, I, I, I lived less than a mile away from a Jimmy John's that opened while I was there in a New Jersey suburb, and it did not last 12 months, and it had nothing to do with the pandemic. So people are going to vote with their money. So if you have a product that you feel comfortable with and you have a good customer base and some regulars and stuff, you shouldn't be worried about this. Yeah, Jenny's that, is doing that, good, good that, work. That's where like the biases are coming back in. I, you know, you know, people want people want like their local thing to be successful. People want to like find pride in their communities, and one of the ways people do that is through local businesses, especially like especially like for whatever reason, like food and stuff, like food and entertainment. Like people really love when their thing from their neighborhood or their city goes crazy and and is really successful. Uh, I, I it's but but there's something to be said for larger national chains with more resources and more quality products to be able to come into a neighborhood or a city and provide services and goods that didn't exist before. I mean, the, the case in you've got mail I and mean, like, okay, it's a, it's a local bookshop and people like the owner, but, but a large national chain isn't necessarily going to have like a smaller selection. Yeah. It's not going to have a less quality but like the, the they're not changing the stories that they're publishing like they're just putting right. more books on the shelves and you know i i think it's like nostalgia community pride personal relationships it just this like sense of defensiveness as well uh, of having like your community be invaded by somebody who like exists elsewhere and you know these are these are biases i i personally think they're really weird but but you know th that's just comes with the territory of like living in a place and wanting to be involved in it. And you know, I can't really fault people for wanting to think local things are just inherently better, even though they're like not, uh, <laughs> but you know, that, that's something that people in local communities are going to have to like, you got to get over it because the thing for businesses to do is to like try to make money and try to stay afloat. Uh, but on, along the way to doing that, they're providing franchisees in the area with opportunities to make money for themselves. Right. They're providing business, like they're providing jobs to people who yep. need jobs uh, they're they're a source of money for the community even though they like didn't come from the area so if you can get over that bias like there's actually good things that happen for consumers especially when more businesses come to town like more competition is better uh, for for people and it's better for businesses to be like near your competitors yeah i i agree and I, i'll also say that the annoying thing about this example to me is that and i i personally i have a personal policy when it comes to making decisions like this where I absolutely would rather the hole-in-the-wall local place succeed. However, I donate my money to charity. I vote for businesses. So if you have, I mean, I'm totally willing to try the local thing. If it's not better or if it is notably worse, like, I don't donate. I'm not going to buy from you just because you exist. Like, I donate to charity. I'm going to buy things that I want with my money. And if you have good stuff, then you get my money. And during the pandemic, I tipped an aggressive amount to my, my three or four local places. Like, I need you to stay open, bud. Like, you have, to, you have to exist. I voted for them hard because I want them to be around. I think that's part of the deal. But if you're donating, I, that's not for me. Donating is not for me. Now, if you watched any number of Netflix or HBO documentaries or specials in the last couple of years, there are places in capitalism where there are gray areas where people get fucked. I'm thinking about Purdue Pharmaceuticals. You think about Boeing. You think about Three Mile Island and Chernobyl. Like the government needs to be involved to check economics occasionally. Otherwise, like 
the heroin epidemic, there were 100,000 overdose deaths last year. Chernobyl and Three Mile Island within the span of 10 years could have ended the species. Like, we, those things need, those are gray areas in capitalism. This well, is not. And, well, and, and, and let's, let, let's set the record straight right here. Chernobyl is not an example of that. Chernobyl no. literally was a state-run system, and because of the, because of the political system in place, a small problem was allowed to become a global disaster. Sure. This is an, exact, an example of the exact opposite of that. Like the like the the beauty of the system that we're in is that people's money is their money and their personal choices their personal choices and like all right sure I, I've, I've called I've called like consumer choices like biases or whatever that people have to get over but like at the end of the day your money's your money you get to spend it how you want it that's Speech. the beauty of living where we yeah, do yeah. do not take away from this episode that Chernobyl is somehow a case where like the government needs to be more involved it was a Soviet Union reactor that blew <laughs> yes. up because the Soviet sure, Union right. had to protect itself that's not what we're getting at here my bad Three Mile Island is where economics were outweighing the greater good and that capitalism had to there were there are gray areas where it's not just pure unadulterated capitalism but yes and we li- will have an expert on to discuss yes. that uh player three we're, we're we're bringing in a guest to discuss that and we'll get much more into that but yes three mile island good example Chernobyl, boeing, not a good example boeing is a good example purdue pharmaceuticals is a good example where there needs to be oversight you can't just create a product and let the market go crazy but literally opening up a store i gotta imagine that's the first or second day of economics 101. Like you go, you get supply and demand, you get the money, you pay the people like overhead margin. This is that example. And like the better, the better thing will win. And if there's enough demand, they can both coexist. I can tell you Starbucks, there are multiple Starbucks in the same parking lot all over the country. They're everywhere. There are two Starbucks in the same parking lot all over America, and they're doing fucking fine. And Duncan across the street is doing fine. And local coffee shops, crush it if there's demand yes yes absolutely and and you know having these businesses next to each other like is a positive sign uh like one of the other owners that were interviewed by the uh, washington city paper uh, laura hayes said uh, she, the, the, the paper says she wonders if clustering ice cream stores near each other isn't a unique strategy she says a waterfront's a waterfront a shopping street is a shopping street i think the quick growth of competition of similar businesses next to each other is a result of the rapid development of DC commercial areas. They're a sign of growth and they promote growth. And that's good for everybody. That's good for people who want to consume better products and services. That's good for people who need jobs and need a source of income. Like that's growth is a good thing here and co-locating like this. It's not a sinister, like predatory business practice. It's one Oh one. If you want to be successful, get in on the market, get in a good location and be near your competitors. And it really helps everybody. It really does, Chris. Like, for example, and I could, I, I've been working uh, professionally. I had worked in pro- podcasts professionally for three years, and I found, you know, I, I got really into the industry, and I learned about the stuff. Like, I don't believe that there's such thing as podcast competition, and I can talk about the stats and all that boring stuff uh, for anybody that wants to listen. But more podcasters, the better. Hey, if you, if you think that you have better game theory opinions than us, buy yourself some shit and do it. Like, I, more is better. More is always better. I'll ride the tide. I, if People vote with their their ears and their data for us now. Like that's that's how it goes. Like this that's that's the system we live in. Chris, I do have a question for you as we get out of here. Has, do you withhold your money or from any business for any reason other than it's not good or not what you want? Do you boycott anywhere? I boycott a certain owner and restaurateur in Philly, but do you boycott anybody? Yeah, I, I, I boycott the University of Michigan. I will never buy any Michigan merch. I will never even come close to that. Uh, not even as a joke. I, I just can't feel good about contributing in that way. Now, the exception is if I lose a bet. If I lose a bet in, like, Madden or something, I will gladly pay up. And 
you know, I, 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 I just, I can't feel good about buying Michigan things. Like, oh, I won't even buy like the toilet. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Chris, that's going to do it for this episode of Game Theory. Nukes and Chess, come find us in Philly over the 4th of July. This is the year of our Lord 2022, depending on when you're listening to this. You can watch the episode in its entirety on YouTube.com. Chris, that's going to do it for this episode. Let's get some ice cream, baby.